We're not parents, but some of our best friends are. And we're here to share wisdom and observations from an unbiased, non-parental I'm James. I'm Thomas. We're two non-parents interested in the world of parenting. This, this is, is Dink. Dink. One of the things that that I'm curious about as we kick this off is as we think about ourselves as people who do not have kids, but who have a lot of friends with new children, I was reflecting on the fact that in the last 18 months, I've probably gone from people with kids representing 15% of my close friend group to 85% of Mm. my close friend group, which is massive. I I guess, hashtag thanks pandemic. Um, And so my sense of my relationship to those people feels like it's changed quite a bit. Um, And I thought maybe that would be an interesting place to start, which is, um, do you have a story of how having a friend who has a child, like changed your relationship to them, if at all? Well, one observation I first have is, I've heard that once one is someone's pregnant or you're ready to have a kid or mm. you're, you're, you start noticing babies everywhere. Mm. I've noticed that for myself. Like mm. I'm starting to notice like different stroller models and like who has kids. And like, I always thought San Francisco was a place that didn't have many kids, but mm. I feel like I see them everywhere. Okay, okay. So whether that's a sign or something else, I just <laughs> want to start with that. Uh, is this your way of telling me that I'm going to need to move out because you're going to have a kid soon? It's, it's going to be sync, <laughs> yes. sol, solo informed, no kids. Yeah. Uh, one of the most memorable conversations I had was talking to a friend who was a couple months pregnant and she shared that the day she was pregnant, she called up her best friend and said, I'm having a kid. I don't want to lose you as a friend. And I was just struck by that conversation because instantly I felt this like sense of fear I've had in myself just Mm. named. Like Mm. I, as you know, Thomas, like I've been on the fence with kids for a long time. Hearing her just express like she's excited for a kid, but like she had this tremendous fear, and that's the first thing that came to mind. Yeah, it was a sign of relief, honestly. Yeah, some of the most memorable conversations I have about people with their kids is like the first time I learned they're pregnant or like in this early mm. months and actually feel this courage inspired my friend to, to, to check in on the friendship. Like mm. in a way, this is maybe a conversation that feels overdue or the one that I've been longing to have as you know, we're, we're in our thirties and there's probably many things that have changed in our friends' lives. People moving a little farther away, being partnered up, all these things change the friendship, just like having a child would as well. But mm. uh, I felt in a way an invitation to have these types of conversations and I felt like relief in, in the way some of how these conversations have gone. Yeah. 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 As I'm, I'm thinking about that, I, I'm struck by your mentioning of the moment that someone first tells you that they're going to have a kid. Um, and when I reflect on how different some of those stories have been, there's been the like, oh, I kind of think you're pregnant, but I... (laughs) That's actually the biggest thing I think about, at least with my female friends, where I'm like, there's probably a point where I was like, you're either, like, kind of gaining weight in a very particular way, but, like, it's very rude of me to ask. So I'm like, oh, right, we can talk about this now. Like, "Mm, you've not... I've not had a glass of wine at dinner for the last, like, X number of months. So there's that version of the story, which is like, oh, now the secret, the thing that we've been dancing around, we can all know talk about, and just the relief there. Um, And then there's the sliver 
so I think that's one kind of version of the conversations, which is always like, yeah, I'm so excited. And yeah, we all kind of knew. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one, um, which is, and I've, has happened less, but a few times where people kind of are comfortable enough to share with me at a point where they're ambivalent hmm. about pregnancy and the child. Um, maybe clear that they are going to have a child, but not sure yet how they feel about that. Um, I think those, those conversations have been some of the more meaningful to me because I, kind of similar to you, when I think about having children, a lot of the thoughts are ambivalent. I think, I think there's a lot of joy. I think there's a lot that's hard. I've read like a stat that like, um, when you look at happiness, you know, measured by psychologists, whatever that means, science. I roll, it's measured by science, um, that like having children causes a dip in happiness while people like, like basically while they're in the house, but then in old age, people who have had kids are so much happier. Hmm. Um, and that, who knows whether that's true, but that's a little bit how I feel about children. Like, I think a life where you would have had kids feels exciting to me, but raising children, I'm, I'm on the fence about. And so anyway, I feel very seen when I hear people's, my friends' ambivalence in those moments. And I feel encouraged that we don't always have to know the right answer or feel like we have everything settled to move forward. And another thing that James, you know about me is that while I've been in the US for almost two decades, as I say at work, but I think on the podcast I can be more <laughs> specific. <laughs> While I've been in the United States for 14 years, maybe 16 years, I don't know. Um, I was born and raised in Kenya, um, and I'm ethnically Ugandan. And I think about how when I'm in the U.S., somebody with a child, that feels like a huge identity shift. And it doesn't when I'm talking to any of my relatives having a child is just another thing people do in much the same way that I wouldn't expect somebody getting a new job to change my relationship with them. Like, sure, maybe you're not as available. Like maybe we need to figure out different times to hang out, but it's just a job um, and it's just a child. But that isn't the case here. Um, and we can go into like, I think cultural differences later, but I just, as you were talking, I, I realized I was kind of assuming a change in relationship and how that does, but taking a very American point of view and, and how that isn't the case for me, at least in other contexts. Appreciate this. Like call of one, just re recognizing how there's different cultural narratives around it, mm. but actually just reflecting back my own lived experience of like mm. how things have changed or not. Mm. I wanted to go back to your earlier point about, um, I guess both points we've made around just like the types of conversations and things that were expressed and how they were maybe different, mm. the ambivalence, the fear. I have a couple of questions. One is how much these feelings are expressed to other parents. Mm. I wonder how much it is unique as a non-parent. Where am I feeling non-judgmental? I don't know the answer, but I just, mm. that came to mind. Hmm. Hmm. The second was, are there different stages of raising a kid or child and when it feels more appropriate to, to share these types of feelings? Mm. My guess is, yeah, maybe probably early on yeah. before, before it feels really real. Yeah. 
or, or I don't even know. I realize yeah. I, it's not my place to speculate, but I'm curious like how that evolves over time yeah. as a parent. And again, I, I so appreciate it. again. Not, I love that. Not our place to speculate, but but <laughs> but which negates everything I just said. As I speculate, what do our listeners really want to hear? <laughs> what I'm hearing you say that just rings very true to me, at least intuitively, is that the the context matters in terms of what we feel expressing and admitting to other people, even to ourselves. I'm going to guess ambivalence feels easier in the first trimester than the third trimester when you feel like there's time. I'm guessing ambivalence feels easier when there isn't a child right in front of you. And like, when are you allowed to say that? I guess ambivalence feels easier when you're talking to somebody who is ambivalent <laughs> um, versus going the other way. Who knows? But, but my hope is always that, that I would be the kind of friend where people felt comfortable sharing ambivalence without judgment. I know how much I appreciate that. Um, and what it made me think without getting too kind of esoteric and getting us off is, at least in how this applies to me as, as someone who doesn't have kids, I'm always, when if I'm really honest, aware that all change is ambivalent. All change carries with it hope and promise but also risk and uncertainty. It carries with it loss of what is gone, fear that what you hope for won't come in there. And yet I think that there's, there's often a lot of pressure for a simple story on certain kinds of change. And I feel like a child is one of those, but I can think of many other changes in my own life. And I've never experienced the child one where I don't allow myself to feel both you know, moving in and becoming roommates with you, I think would have fallen into that. It was something that I felt very grateful that you gave me space to be ambivalent on how I felt about that. I think that's something that I was afraid of a lot of judgment in that change in expressing uncertainty, because like what I didn't want to express in that is that somehow you weren't a good enough friend for me to want to live with. And that was a very scary thing for me to say. But at the same time, it was change. And it was going to affect our friendship because we've been friends for, you know, over a decade and we were roommates before. And I was like, we became better friends when we weren't roommates. And I really appreciated that. And I was very afraid of what that was going to do. And yet I was also really hopeful for what it could mean. And one of the things that quite frankly allowed me to kind of take the step and do this was the sense I got from you like that was okay. It was okay for me to feel both things and know things and for us to figure out where they went. And I had the luxury with that change of kind of needing to do it on my own schedule. And I think one of the maybe harder things about biological changes is, you know, you kind of have nine months to figure this out before, okay, I'm like taking care of a human. And I just think about, oh, how much more stressful that might've been for me if I felt that time boundness. And so I've kind of covered a lot of things, but yeah, you're, you're helping me reflect on the power of making space for ambivalence, the truth that like change is often ambivalent. And I think the unique challenge for parents who might be dealing with that ambivalence in feeling like this very, the very natural time limit um, to their ability to wrestle with that. On the notion of time, I, I think about like how what you named are the range of emotions come through change, the range of emotions 
will arise when something's just important. And mm. one, just celebrating that. I, mm. I've hmm. one thing that's really intrigued me about parenting is I've heard consistently across different parents is the idea of how one's capacity to love grows immensely, mm. like almost like in, infinitely. Mm. And I've always had this like curiosity and almost jealousy of, yeah. of that feeling. But I'm reminded in this conversation too of like how this experience must also exacerbate all the range of all the emotions mm. and really honoring like that is why the experience is worthwhile. Yeah. It, and because I have the, the separation of not being the parent, just really hoping my friends who are parents can mm. celebrate and honor that mm. and because that does sound so incredibly special. was like the idea of time timelines right right and i can just imagine that time pressure of i need we need to figure this out within nine months or like we need to figure this out by age one mm. or i mean i mean i even know parents they're not even thinking about age one they think about yeah. week one yeah, they yeah. think about the next hour yeah but how constantly it feels like as a parent there are these deadlines and how those are biologically imposed mm. those are imposed by society mm. oh how many words can my kid read by mm. age one or five this is clearly how i'm yeah. about reading <laughs> child development but i'm thinking about all the ways i put pressure myself mm. on timelines and mm. again some of those are practical like you're supposed to supposed to i'm putting air quotes to graduate by a certain time yeah. or have be married by a certain time or yeah. have these certain experiences and there's always that certain practical component as we live as independent adults mm. But also the moment where I give myself grace to be, you know, recognize that there are some of these are self-imposed or narratives I've been imposing myself. Yeah. So again, not having those, not being exposed to those real-time biological pressures of being a parent, but just wondering how a parent might react when they, as they analyze, like what are pressures or narratives I put on myself because of things that are definitely imposed because that's mm. how, what it means to be a growing mm. human that I'm raising mm. versus those that were kind of internalizing because of the pressures of being a parent and i think a lot about that just yeah. the pressures it must be to be a parent and all yeah. the other narratives that are imposed um that is true well so to any of our parent listeners we salute you <laughs> even as you you wrestle with things that i think are very human but like you said are are being wrestled with on a scale that is almost infinitely large but I think also in some ways because of that, give us a blueprint for how to kind of wade through that. And for me, the blueprint is, um, and I've seen, so what some of the parent, my parent friends I most admire on this is the, the parents who, when they're ambivalent, are able to separate between what needs to be done and how I feel. And I don't, my feelings, I need to give an infinite timeline. I can't control that. Even as I know that there's certain things I'm going to have to do. Like I can't, I, I have to go for my prenatal screenings. <laughs> I have to like see the doctor. Like that, there's a real timeline there. But like, how do I feel? What is my relationship to motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood? You know, what is that? How is that going to affect my relationship with my partner? Where that goes? 
I'm kind of allowed to explore that often on a very different timeline. I think back to the very specific example I gave of us becoming roommates. And I really think that's probably the closest I've ever done to separating those things where I was like, moving back to the city. So like on this date, I need a place to stay. So like the thing that has to be done is commit for a month, but you really gave me the freedom to then take as long as I needed to figure out how this felt. And, and the very specific gift you gave me was like, we're kind of on this month to month <laughs> indefinitely as I came in. But I think then that allowed me to do the things I needed to do, but also take the time I needed to feel. And like often happens with those things, it wasn't an insight or a moment. Just kind of woke up one day and you're like, this feels like home. That can be a gradual process, mm. but also a process where it, there is a day mm. that you, one celebrates it. And so for mm. some folks, it is on the first day when they're pregnant. Mm. For some friends, we know mm. a couple, it's, that's felt like the home identity before they were parents. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, and I, but I wonder if there's also folks who are still searching for that feeling. Mm. And maybe because... I maybe in a way feel most connected to that last group, right? Mm. With my sense of uncertainty with parents, but just honoring no matter when we feel that sense of place with identity, that, that, that process in which giving us the time to do that, mm. celebrating, acknowledging that's going to be a journey. Mm. Maybe that's what we all can give ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like you were saying earlier, recognizing that, at least for many of us, the, the degree of the ambivalence is just a recognition of how important the thing is to us. And that while the ambivalence is disconcerting, we can always celebrate that we are engaging with something that really matters, which is courage, a blessing in the sense that we get to even engage with something that matters. Yeah, is, is enough for the moment. I guess to our ambivalent parents out there, our confident parents out there, Thanks so much for listening. We're starting our own journey of, of parenting and birthing this podcast. So we have many lessons to learn along the way, and maybe we can use some of the ones we've talked about today. Exactly, exactly. Embracing as we embrace the ambivalence um, around what this is and where it will go. Thanks so much for listening to Dink. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. If you're interested in having a question answered on an episode, Send a recording to dinkpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks to our friends and supporters for being so open with sharing your stories, joys, and struggles on the journey of parenthood. And thank you to our listeners as well for the gift of your time. We, we love, love you all. all.